So something that I don't freely admit to everybody is that I am for the first time getting through the Harry Potter uh, series. All of oh them. my gosh. I'm currently halfway through the fourth book. I don't like reading. We've talked about this. We've talked about <laughs> this is how... a point. This is actually a point of pain yeah, in our relationship. I have two books two. from you. Yes. On my coffee table. Haven't haven't touched. Them. I know you haven't. Yeah. I've committed you several times. You <laughs> you, you will have. not. I don't know what it is, but when you do an audio book, because I'm huge into podcasts, that's essentially what an audio book is. It's just this big, long narrative thing. Yeah. I am loving it. Turns out Harry Potter is pretty good. It's a good podcast. I, it's a really long podcast. <laughs> I mean, the fourth book alone is like 20 hours oh of content. Uh, but anyway, yeah, I'm, I'm using Audible and uh, I'm very much enjoying it. So uh, I wanted to tell our listeners that we actually have a banner on our website where you can go and specific if you go specifically through our website and go to Audible and sign up for Audible, then you can get 30 days free. A lot of places you can get seven days free. You can get a 14-day free trial, but through us, you can get a 30-day free trial of Audible because then you can try it. You can listen to all 20 hours of the fourth Harry Potter book, <laughs> and if you don't like it, then you can leave. There's no contract contract or anything. So 30 days seems like a lot. Seems like a lot of time to I get mean, for free. Yeah. Is it because all of the executives at Audible are fans of this podcast? Every single one of them. I, You know, I figured that. Yeah, yeah. I suspected that. I got this, a, this is proof. I got me. a phone call, and it was like... Hey, we love your podcast. And I'm like, who's we? And it was like the entire advisory board at Amazon. I was like, that makes sense. I understand. Amazon? <laughs> Amazon owns Audible. <laughs> you didn't know that? Jeff, Jeff Bezos. Yeah, we jumped all the way to yeah. Amazon. All the time that he's spending on Blue Origin and his penis rocket, <laughs> he is he is listening to Nerd Critic. <laughs> Turns out he loves Nerd he Critic. He loves Nerd Critic. And he's like, hey, you know what Every we're going to do? Every time he takes a bick to his head, he's listening to Nerd Critic. He's like, you know what we're going to do for you, CJ? And I'm like, what? And he's like, we're going to give you 30 days free. 30 days free to anybody who listens to Nerd Critic. The best they can offer. Welcome to Nerd Critic, a deep dive into movies from the dual perspective of critical nerdiness. My name is CJ. And I am Jordan. CJ here is our resident nerd. And Jordan is our studied and credentialed critic. And today, uh, CJ's dad is with us. <laughs> You're just going to jump I'm right I'm just going to let it right out of the bag. <laughs> I'll let you take it from here, CJ. All right. Uh, yeah. Hey, dad. <laughs> hey. Uh, yes, you've mentioned so many times that we sound virtually the same. I feel like I should. Sound I don't like the guy at the drive-through. <laughs> I don't think it's true though. Place. You don't. You don't think we sound no, the same? No, I don't think you oh, sound good. the same. Okay, well then. I mean, maybe not I'm good. Wrong. You have a good voice, Dad. That's not what I meant. No, you have a great voice. <laughs> uh, yeah. So basically, we. 
we realized that uh, this episode is going to be coming out on, uh, well, really near. Black Friday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But near Thanksgiving. And uh, and we were we were trying to think of a Thanksgiving movie to cover. And we realized there aren't any. <laughs> there are probably some, but none that like, you know, spring to mind. And so we decided to make it a family centered, <laughs> well, a family centered episode where I bring on my dad and we talk about a movie with 154 <laughs> F words. So hey, whatever, whatever. That in my brain, for some reason, I was like, I, my brain had wandered over to the movie Groundhog Day, which <laughs> which I associate with Thanksgiving for no justifiable reason. You should associate and it because to Groundhog I was Day. thinking about Groundhog Day when you said 154 efforts. I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> Have I been watching a different version of Groundhog Day? Uh, that was an, a complete non sequitur. That had no bearing on this conversation. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just wanted to mention that this episode will not be coming out on Black Friday. It will be coming out on the Monday after Thanksgiving. So we're, oh, we're yes. going to be really late to the oh, party. Oh, yeah, that's fine. Uh, but whatever. You Either know? way, we are happy to have Mr. Dan Lindsay with us. Yes, welcome. Welcome. Also, well, thank you. Did, did, have you worked? What, 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 what did you do for a living, Dan? Because uh, I feel like your silky voice suggests some things to me. <laughs> Uh, when CJ was quite young, I was actually on air. That's how this whole mess started. Uh, but well, but right go, after, go ahead and go ahead and tell him what your on on air name was. You already said it. <laughs> Did I? I don't in remember. a previous go, episode. Oh, and, and, and you were mocking. <laughs> yeah. So no, I'm not. I'm not gonna. Yeah, I refuse. All right, Dan Diamond. Whatever. <laughs> no, that's how I, Dan Diamond. I love it. Like I said, I, I feel like I should sound like the guy through the drive-through. Thank you for ordering a double with cheese. How can I help you today? Just waiting for the program director from a radio station to drive through. And like, wow, I should hire that guy. Oh my gosh, that's such a great that's such a great uh, mental picture. Yeah, um, especially because I am inevitably picturing you as an appropriately aged man to be CJ's father, <laughs> still waiting at the drive-through, um, just trying to get his yeah, catch his break, waiting for your break. Um, welcome to Los Angeles. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, uh, yeah. No, I I feel like uh, I went an embarrassingly long time not knowing that CJ's dad was in radio. And thinking, man, CJ's really good at this. <laughs> and now it all makes perfect sense. Uh, anyway. I must have well, learned it through I, osmosis, I guess. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I think maybe that was his punishment, right? <laughs> hey, now I, you have to voice three commercials, CJ. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I actually do remember going in and, and voicing some commercials. I don't know if they ever got it on air, but uh, they, I, they, yeah. they did. Yeah. We needed a a young female. <laughs> oh man, this is going to be a that's juicy actually episode. One hundred percent true. We get, we get every embarrassing moment from CJ's past. Oh, I'm very excited now. Um, all right, well, we, we are we are here to talk about Goodwill Hunting, um, and I first of all, uh, Dan, I have to thank you for. Suggesting this movie because it had been a long. I didn't realize how long it had been since I'd seen this movie, yeah. and um, it was just an a, just a rich treat to be able to uh, return to this film for a little while. Um, I had a really uh, emotional experience again with it 
Probably more so uh, because it's one of those movies. Yeah. Anyway, so I would love for you to tell us, Dan, why you picked this movie. Um, because I had to know why it was called Goodwill Hunting. <laughs> mm. Mm. Seri- I seriously didn't remember the main, you know, Matt Damon's character was Will Hunting. I will confess, I did not either. <laughs> and so I was. I was completely confused. I mean, wait, like after you watched the movie, both of you? No, no, no okay, no, no. Oh, like before, I mean, before, take, yeah. yeah, oh yeah, me neither. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't even yeah, remember his I first was like, name was Will. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I well, all I remembered was he was a, a wicked smart guy, <laughs> and um, he continually pushed people away, and that him and Ben Affleck potentially wrote it that was the rumor mm. yep uh that was about all i kind of and you know robin williams was in it yeah yeah, yeah. well um and so it was fun yeah it so fun to rewatch it i uh so i reached out to my dad and i was like hey we'd love to have you on uh send me some movies that you would love to cover and so <laughs> I, and he's like he's like cool give me a couple hours and i was like well, I mean, I, I was just thinking like, you know, a few off the top of your head. A couple hours later, he texts me a list of probably 20 movies. Oh, wow. Um, and no, dude, don't don't exaggerate. There was at least 30. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then and so I go through um, and there was a bunch of really good ones. I was like really excited about the ones that you chose. Uh, and then you followed it up with, oh, wait, and don't forget Goodwill Hunting. And I was, and that one was like, okay, I think we have to do that one. So I gave, uh, I responded and gave you a couple options of like, I would like to do either Goodwill Hunting. In order. Yeah. Goodwill Hunting, Breakfast Club, Mrs. Doubtfire, Tommy Boy, or Forrest Gump. And the final choice was Goodwill, Goodwill Hunting. Look at this list, dude. Look at this list. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That was back when they made good movies. Yeah. (laughs) Um. So, yeah, I'm really excited to, to talk about Goodwill Hunting. Um, and it's interesting because this is a movie that I was most definitely not allowed to watch oh, yeah. growing up. I, I was well, a full grown adult out on my own before I watched this one. Yeah, there were a plethora of F bombs. Yeah. Yeah, I had to look it up. It is 154. <laughs> I, it, it, I mean, is that is that is that a lot for. Uh, today's movies it depends on the movie i mean i i think you know a lot of the a lot of language let's talk about language for a second this is as good of a place as any to sure. start yeah i absolutely. think back when goodwill hunting came out a lot of people were like it's really good even though there's a lot of swearing but it's genuine because they're from southie and i feel like we don't have those kinds of conversations anymore partly because i feel like we're past that culturally we understand like some people just talk that way and some people don't and please just get your character right you know <laughs> yeah um so it's less about uh it's you know it's not going to be something that people talk a lot about um uh unless i guess you're talking about like a martin scorsese movie because i think a lot of people talked about how many swear words were in wolf of wall street which seemed an absurd thing to focus on for that movie in general I over I, 400 <laughs> No. I know. Like yeah. someone is yeah. like well, there, someone there's is, an effort every 15 like seconds is trying to break a record. Like I don't know uh who counts that or if somebody just takes the shooting script and does like a word search on it. I it bothers me so much that anybody even knows. It really <laughs> oh, know. does. It bothers me so much. Like I feel like it is it's like if you if that is the detail. 
that you walked away from this movie with, then you might as well have not watched the movie. Well, to be fair, th- the majority of movies that put language like this into into their movie, a lot of the times it's unnecessary. Goodwill Hunting was maybe one of the first examples that I had seen where the the actual world that they live in the kind of people they are and it was all wrapped up in the words the words that they used yeah. and the fact that that will hunting was a genius and you know it was among a, these people like yeah. it, it it really it it was really important to the actual character that's when a, a lot of movies a it's point. not that's a fair point yeah um i think that i think you know what no, go ahead. You know what kept running through my head was you guys recently did an episode talking about how studios are so afraid to be offensive. Jordan, you put it well. I can't remember exactly the terminology, but, you know, to, I, I don't know exactly what you said. Something about if you want to have fun, you're this way. If you want to get a point across a point. You know, you have to be willing to be not not politically correct, right? Yeah. Um, this was long before political correctness, and people were just the way they were. Yeah. And no one sat back and counted swear words. And, I mean, that's just kind of how people from that neighborhood spoke, right? Yeah. So uh, the fact that they were real people... What blows me away is if this movie was truly written by Ben Affleck and Matt Damon solely and, you know, for the most part, how old were they when this was filmed? I don't know, mid-20s? Yeah, something like that. This was a deep, lots of substance to the characters. I mean, that's talent. Yeah, so I so I watched a uh, a talk show clip of Oprah in 1998, where Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, and Robin Williams were on talking about this movie, and uh, this is straight from Matt Damon. The story was that they were two actors in L.A. Um, they had nothing. Ben Affleck was living on Matt Damon's couch. They had moved ten times because they couldn't pay their rent in multiple places. Uh, And they were actors that, um, yeah, Matt Damon actually wrote a paper for English class and it became a script and he brought, he, he showed it to Ben and they've been friends since they were eight. And so they had experienced these kinds of things like in the, in, in the neighborhood and being best friends and the loyalty that was there that is depicted in the movie. Um, and they said they wanted to take their time on it. And so it took them over a year. Once they finished it, they gave it to their agent uh, they, they got the impression that their agent was like, okay, you're not, you're not the first actors to come up with a script. Uh, Reddit actually was kind of impressed, shopped it around, uh, and then sold it. And Matt Damon said, uh, it was a good thing that we have agents because we would have sold that, that script for anything. And Oprah says anything like anything like what? And Matt Damon goes like anything like a piece of chicken. <laughs> it was like we had nothing and they had no idea. So, yes, it was written by Matt Damon and Ben Affleck and they sold it uh, as was and they shot it as it was, which is which wow. is pretty bonkers. because yeah. They were so young. Uh, you know, it helps to get uh, Gus Van Sant and uh, and Robin Williams involved. 
Um, so yeah, I think that uh, I'm not surprised by that story because I think over the years, um, Ben Affleck and Matt Damon have proven themselves to be exceptionally intelligent artists. Um, and so I think that this is one of those movies that shows, I think one of the reasons that this movie became so, I won't even say a cult classic, but it's really, it really broke out. It's one of the more sort of successful, well-known movies, uh, of that era. And, 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 you know, I mean, of, if you're talking about quotable movies, if you're talking about movies about therapy, any anytime you're thinking you're about a movie about therapy, you're thinking of ordinary people and goodwill hunting. Like those are the movies about therapy. Yeah. Um and 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 I think that there's not uh it, it's not very common for a movie like that to break out into pop into popular um uh the the sort of the mainstream culture. Yeah, yeah. the mainstream. And, uh, and so, you know, it's really impressive. And I think that the reason that they were able to write this script is because they were following that sort of cliched axiom of screenwriting, which is to write what you know. Um, and they'd come from that place. They knew those people, they understood the, those places. And so they were able to write with a lot of richness, um, that avoided any cliches and felt authentic and felt real because it was, they were writing a kind of truth. And so... Um, you know, th- thankfully, uh, at the time, for whatever reason, uh, whatever sort of the, the fates aligned uh, to give them the kind of agent that would be competent to be able to shop that around and that it got read by the right people and that it got, you know, the right collaboration of artists so that it got made. Um, that's a, you know, it's kind of a miracle of a story. But uh, yeah, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm surprised. I think that it, I think that I would be, su- I, I wouldn't believe it if they said they'd, they'd written it in any less time than a year yeah. because it's a, it's a script that shows that ha- that is just, uh, it is such evidence of long, careful development. Um, and it also makes sense that it's not, it wouldn't be the work of a year of like, you know, mornings and weekends. It would be the work of a year of, uh, you know, out of work actors <laughs> yeah, <laughs> who have nothing all the time else in the to world. <laughs> do, but try to figure out how to make this story work. Yeah. Um, and it, it really, it shows it's, it's a great, it's a, a wonderfully written movie. Oh, well, uh, to me, it's impressive and uh, maybe a testament to the quality of writers and actors that those two men are that they've moved 10 times and they're sleeping on each other's couches, but they wanted to take their time with it. And it took them a year. Yeah. Yeah. That's a long time when you're dodging rent. Yeah. You're a year's a long time when you're looking for a piece of chicken. Yeah. (laughs) This is, this is the story of, of almost every, uh, actor, and director and writer that has come from no connections, no anything, um, and then sort of, quote-unquote, broken out in Hollywood. The story is always the same. Years of failure and starvation and and sort of obscene and insane dedication to the work um, to the point that... And that eventually, you know, it pays off. But it's... There's still the anomaly, you know? For every pair of Matt Damon and Ben Affleck's, there's... There's, you know, a thousand or 10,000 or or depressingly more who never make it. Yeah. Just keep starving until they give up um, or whatever. But uh, yeah, it's 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 I want to say this. It's an uncomfortable reality for me to contend with that it that that's what it takes for movies like this to happen. (laughs) Um, That well, and is it harder today, 30 years later? Well, now it's it's 
it's virtually impossible. It's almost impossible. Well, there's also the argument that there's more content being made now than there ever was before. There's more content being made, but not this kind of content. Oh, um, that's, a, a that's feature, true. A feature-length film um, screened widely or released widely of this caliber, of this style, of this scale is not common. It's so it's it's vanishingly rare now. Yeah. It's all it will almost never happen. Yeah. Um okay, so let's talk about why the script is so good. Uh I want I have a question. Okay. Dan, what is your favorite scene? Yeah. Oh boy. I'm ashamed to admit it, but finally when Robin Williams is breaking through the walls mm. that Ben and the Will Hunting has built up around him. I mean, it's maybe the second or third to the last session that they ever have. And Will has been choked and kicked out of Robin's office, but he goes back and then he just sits there and he's quiet and he says nothing. And Robin Williams, Sean won't, won't say a word. And, and finally Matt Damon says something about Robin Williams, wife. (laughs) There's this, joke that comes up about how she would fart in her sleep and (laughs) they would they laughed and you know yeah it would even wake her up and robin williams would say you know didn't have the heart to to tell her that that was her because she was asking was that you (laughs) you know i don't know maybe it was just the tension breaker of of the moment but (laughs) Yeah, I I found that very, I don't know. Like I said, it was appropriate. The my favorite scene, uh, wow, there are a lot of them. I I don't know. I mean, there I would say toward the end when he's telling you know Professor Lambeau, do you know how easy this is for me? I mean, maybe I don't want to sit in a room for fifty years and do long division. And and then the the response from Professor Lambeau is to me is classic you know there's only a handful of people in the world that can tell the difference between you and i but i'm one of them yeah. and it keeps me up at night yeah i mean it's like oh. yeah. yeah it's great yeah i love okay okay you said so many things first off uh the the <laughs> rumor is i have not fact checked this but the rumor is that that whole the whole farting uh scene mm-hmm. was uh was actually improvised that rob williams had um, had actually come up with that. In my opinion, it is that scene that won the dude the Oscar. There's there's like four there's like four scenes that are really good, but that's that's definitely near the top of the list for me. Um, uh, and then the the other one being when he's on the uh, when the, oh, they're on the park bench and Rob mm-hmm. Williams says yeah. like you're just a kid, you're just a kid, you're a genius. If you know if I bring if I talk about love, you could probably quote me a sonnet, or if I talk about art, you can tell me all the facts about Michael Michelangelo. But like you've never been there, you've never done that. Blah blah blah. You don't know the you don't know the smell yeah. of the Sistine Chapel. Yeah. 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 So it's, uh, Robin Williams in this movie is, uh, I, I love, I love the comedy of Robin Williams, right? I'm, I am of that age that you're looking at flubber and Aladdin and all of those just, I mean, I love just that flubber was the first. Absolutely. One I loved flubber, <laughs> loved flubber. Um, can we uh, talk about Robin Williams for a second? Because I, this, please. this, this movie just, it almost doesn't seem like it almost it almost doesn't it, it like it's it's easy to forget that Robin Williams 
was how was as great as he was not because he was a great comedian, which he was. He, he was. was. He was a, a world class, like best in the world I, comedian. I changed the TV industry forever. Yeah. Like a four four camera Mark sitcom is because of him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But yeah. also, but also was one of the greatest dramatic actors of all time. So, dude's got some gems. Every everything that he does, <laughs> everything that he did, it's like you you bring Robin Williams to this script and say, okay, we need the most grounded. Like settled, understated, subtle performance that yeah. will that will completely transform <laughs> this impossible character and the audience along with them. Let's get Mork from Mork and Mindy. Yeah, exactly. It's it's, <laughs> yeah. it's just it is so it is so dazzling what he's able to do in this role. Um, and and how he and he melts into it so completely that it's hard to imagine him playing anything else. Yeah. When you're watching this movie, you're like, well, of course, this is the perfect role for Robin Williams. And then, you know, go watch a lot. Also <laughs> shockingly like threatening when, when he like cho- oh, yeah. choked, when he's just, uh, you know, yeah. around. also he bet it's, he says he benches like two sixty eight or something like that. 285. Yeah. 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 Uh, but just, uh, I agree. I free th- weights. Uh, yeah. Free weight, free I'm, weights. I'm going to be, <laughs> you know, when I, when you said, Dan, when you said that you were a little bit embarrassed about, uh, the scene that you were going to talk about, um, uh, I don't know why you're embarrassed because that seems like a better cut than mine. My favorite scene is, it's not your fault. Like I, I and I oh. and it's it's the it's the classic. It's the it's the it is the memed climax of yeah. this movie. I mean, yeah. it is the it is the moment that everybody remembers. It's Although, whatever. How do you like them apples? Is uh, well, up there? I mean, as that's a meme. A, that's the actual <laughs> meme. Yeah. I mean, um, but but the the it's not your fault scene. The climax of this movie. The fact that that is the climax. Is but he keeps saying it, yeah, and saying it, mm-hmm. the, the, and saying. I mean, I didn't know what he was getting at. Yeah, and it's not your fault. I know. Yeah, it's not your fault. And the thing, the thing that really, um, this this movie seems to me to be sort of impossibly profound. <laughs> it's like considering to be how, written by to be written 20s, by a couple yeah. of guys in their early twenties, and I'm sure they, I'm sure that they had lots of people that they went to to, to get notes and to you know give them ideas and you know i mean the screenwriting at its best is a very collaborative process um in terms of getting kind of those harvesting ideas from lots of different people um but the the fact that they got it so right um and in that moment knew so deeply that the 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 main problem with people who have been the victims of abuse is that they believe that it's their fault that that yeah. if they could have cut to that truth so deeply and so profoundly, not only to know it, but to hold on to it in a way that they could deliver it in that scene that felt that 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 was so true, um, and that they could know that this character had had built up these these walls that were so effective and so high, and that they they introduced the Robin Williams's character to be the only person, the only thing that could they could penetrate those walls and right that through. yeah and and that and that he would know when it was appropriate to simply tell the protagonist that the abuse that he suffered was not his fault and that he would know so perfectly that that was the right moment that that, that was the right thing to say that that he would that he would be able to make that final drive to bring the wall down completely by only repeating it and by not abandoning him in that moment. Um, it, it is so, it is so, it is so perfect that I can't, it is, 
I, I don't. I mean, I, I'm undone by that scene every time, and and I think about that scene very often. Like, and, I mean, I that it has to be whoever developed that has to have gone through something to know how to unleash and un, you know let that monster out of the box little by little. It's not your fault. I know, and just to keep going and and. And the fact, you know, how he just ultimately breaks down and absolutely loses it. Yeah. How that brings it home and finally breaks through and and makes things okay. Yeah. It's... You no, know, I mean, Robin Williams said, you know, Matt Damon was saying something about, no, I'm not going to call uh, Skyler, played by Minnie Driver. I'm not going to call Skyler. And Robin Williams like, well, why not? And Will Hunting says, well, right now she's perfect. I mean, what if I find out she's not? I, I don't want to go there. Yeah. Yeah. And Robin Williams' response was perfect. It's, well, right now maybe you think you're perfect. And you don't want to go any further because she'll find out that you're not either. Yeah, so I uh, when I think about the scene of it's not your fault and uh, segueing off of the you're you're not perfect and you're afraid of that is I think about the the like the three main supporting characters like this movie is a like you should if you're trying to trying to uh, learn screenwriting this is a movie to watch over and over to study how to write supporting characters because the the three main supporting characters are so incredibly important to to the arc of the our hero which is will hunting you have ben affleck's character who is uh who is the example of what matt damon thinks he is but he is not yeah and then and you aspires have, to be because here's a guy who has a family wants. yes and he's strong mm-hmm. and he's responsible and mm-hmm. he works hard and he's funny he's and loyal. He's loyal yeah yeah he's always there and then you have mini driver who is this uh, almost an example of what he could be, yeah. you know, this, this the driven go to California. Dream. Yeah. This, uh, that, and, uh, and then you have, uh, you have Sean, which when I look at it, uh, and I look at that scene of it's not your fault specifically. Um, I look at Sean as the, um, it actually says in the script, I read that I read, uh, that scene in the script and in the script, it says that the two embrace as two lonely men, finally father and son, uh, which is, Mm. which is just beautiful because it's this, it's this, uh, this character that Will Hunting is looking at as, uh, this seems to be pretty dang close to intellectually like on par with him. Maybe not quite, but has a deeper sense of self. So he can be, he, he, what their relationship works because, because Will is the vastly superior uh, uh, intellectual or uh, IQ, like vastly superior intelligence, r- like ba- uh, general intelligence, and um, Sean Robin Williams' character is the vastly superior emotional intelligence. Yeah, the emotional IQ. And yeah. So he, so he is able to essentially perfectly guide, even though uh, you know, Will is so smart that he can't be taught anything. He's also totally a, he's a which, tiny yeah, child emotionally. Yeah, which is why when uh, when Sean when Robin Williams' character uh, you know says that whole 
uh, monologue about you're a kid you haven't experienced. He literally leaves with your move, understanding yeah. that there is nothing that he can do. It's up to Will Hunting to open up. Yeah. Uh, but to go back to the scene of it's not your fault. So I had watching this movie recently. I had um, a very significant emotional reaction to that scene. Uh, so here's a, this seems, this'll, this'll, this'll be interesting to bring up with my dad on the episode. It's already piqued my attention. I'm like, okay, what happened? (laughs) So, um, the first time that I watched this movie several years ago, um, like I was brand new in college. Uh, it was good. I really enjoyed it. I recognized its brilliance. I went on the journey, you know, I teared up all of that, but, but this time, uh, my mind went to the same place that it did back several years ago, but I reacted to it differently. Uh, and in this movie, you have Will Hunting who has all these defense mechanisms to not feel the things that he is afraid to feel. And then it's Robin Williams' character that is able to break through those defense mechanisms and make him feel those things so that he can have that catharsis moment and move on. And so um, over the past several years, I didn't realize personally, uh, but I think that I had been kind of with my move to Los Angeles and the things that I've gone through. And it turns out, you know, it's really difficult as I've said before, um, that that was somewhat of my, me discovering my defense mechanisms. So that it's not your fault scene. Uh, when, when your parents get divorced. So I was 17, every, just everybody, if they wanted to have like a deep conversation with me in the moment, they would tell me it wasn't my fault. It was just like it, like, and that's something that everybody fears. They fear that the kids that are going, that are part, you know, of the divorce, they're going to think that they did something wrong so that mommy and daddy are breaking up. I was 17. Both of my brothers were moved out of the house. So I was fully aware of the situation. I was like, yo, yo, my, my, my parents have issues it's, it's not on me. That's fine. So when people would tell me it's not your fault, I was like, okay, I know. Like, it's cool. I know. Um, and then I, over the past several years, I have come to realize that, no, I don't think that my parents' divorce was my fault. But I think that the way that I handled it might have brought in more pain to the situation than, than, than I, I could have prevented the amount of pain that I accidentally put in there. And I realized that I had been kind of holding that in so that it's not your fault scene. Oh, I just was done. I was, I was in uncontrollable tears and, uh, it was the most human story for me in that moment that I think that I have ever experienced like a star is born and saving Mr. Banks are up there. But that, but when I saw that moment, the it's not your fault moment at the age of 28, I, which, which it looks like, uh, Matt Damon was, uh, was 26 when he filmed this. So, and it just, it, it destroyed me. And it was, it was an emotional release and it was, it was the reason I love movies so much was that that movie gave that moment to me of self self realizing that, uh, of the things that I had been living and I had been, been going through, which is why we do this podcast. And it's why we do, 
It's why I am in LA so I can help bring those moments to other people. Anyway, it was just a beautiful moment. I, I really love that. Uh, I really love that. And I, I, I want to just as a, as an, as a follow-up to, um, you know, Dan, you mentioned to, in order to do a scene like this perfect, perfectly, or, or even to just get it right. Um, the, the writers, the performers, somebody has to have been through that. And my immediate thought is that I, I think everybody's been through something and the craft of great acting and great writing is to be able to take the experiences that you've had and alchemize them to become something that other people can relate to as well. And so it's, it's un, it seems, I'm not going to guess whether or not, um, let's just say for the sake of argument that Matt Damon, you know, didn't have cigarettes put out on his body. Sure. Um, but for him to be able to take whatever he had suffered, you know, in his early youth or late youth or early adulthood or even current situation, you know, we can all identify with being mistreated by other people at some point in a way that makes us feel ashamed. And that um, being able to access that feeling and what drives it is is the art of uh, of of great storytelling. Amen, and Jordan. So, Amen. <laughs> and so, uh, and so, all of us as we're watching this film and we watch that scene and we connect with the truth of it, um, the truth of that storytelling, both from a writing perspective and deeply from a performance perspective, um, we are all then connecting with our own experiences as uh, as victims and not in the negative sense of victim victimization or victimhood as a way of life, but rather in the way that we are all in some way or another, we have all been victims and we have all been uh, given the opportunity to feel ashamed for pain that wasn't our fault. And that, and so I think being able to, that, that to me, that this is the, this is the thing that sort of stands with goodwill hunting up as one of the great movies of, of our time. Um, it, because it it took the opportunity to tell a, a kind of an extravagant story about an uh, about a, a a boy genius who was sort of you know he is kind of a uh, he's kind of a spectacle he's so smart that he's kind of a spectacle like they almost push it too far he knows everything he can do anything he's you know i mean the scene in the the bar scene that opens up the movie that not opens up the movie but the the really early on the how do you like them apples the scene the whole scene they came before <sighs> Is so surpassingly like talking to Fabio. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> it's so surpassingly uh, pleasurable. <laughs> like you just, yeah. I love everything about that scene. I love that he completely tr- like trammels him <laughs> intellectually, and then. And then as a cherry on top, he's like, but, you know, if you have a problem, we could take this outside. And, you know, also in the moment, like, not only <laughs> can I completely smoke you intellectually and because I've read more and I understand it more deeply than you'll ever have a prayer of, but also I could beat you to death. <laughs> and, like, th- this is uh, – th- that moment is so incredibly satisfying. You, t- you can't even believe it. But it's also – it's a spectacle. I mean, that's that's heightened storytelling. Really, it's not it's not very grounded at that point. Like to be for anybody to be able to do that is is exceptionally unlikely. Unlikely to the point of being almost unbelievable. But it doesn't matter because we're like having a good time. We're in it for the ride. Yeah. But it you it's so subversive because it uses this sort of spectacle of this uh, almost impossibly smart person and these incredibly fun situations like the courtroom scene, which was so fun. Um, all that stuff, you know, kind of 
setting up for a deeply, deeply grounded emotional human scene that the climax of this movie isn't Matt Damon being smarter than everybody. The climax of this entire movie is the most intimate scene you can imagine between two men who need each other. Mm-hmm. And that that's, and that because, and then that is then the scene that everybody remembers emotionally, at least the most vividly. And then that is the, that is the gift that this movie gave to the world is the language of um, helping someone out of the shame of abuse. Yeah. And I love how they brought the whole thing together or in, in full circle and you know Robin Williams in a bonding moment explains how he didn't go to the sixth game of the World Series because he had to go see about a girl and you know and Ben Affleck's character is so I don't know can I say this on the on this podcast he's such a hard ass right he's just so are you talking Matt Damon's such character? a tough guy Matt, Matt Damon's character yeah Matt Damon no no, no Ben right Affleck okay. he's 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 a He's a hardened guy. Oh yeah. But yet, when he when he you know they're sharing a beer, and on the on the hood of his truck, oh, yeah. and and he says, you know, the best part of my day, the best part of my oh, day is so for like good. ten seconds when I come to pick you up, you're not there. Yeah. Oh, that monologue, yeah. man. It's that so monologue. gotten out of here, yeah. you know. And, yeah. and and I'm gonna be doing this twenty years from now, and. You know, before that, Ben uh, Matt Damon was saying, "Yeah, well, we're all we're going to be doing this 50 years from now, taking our kids to little league, and this is just kind of how it is." And that's when Ben Affleck's like, "No, the best part of my day is just that 10 seconds when I don't know if you're going to answer the door or not, and I'm hoping that you're not because you're better than I am. You're better than this." And the the quote, I mean, the quote that is true love. The quote is, uh, "You're sitting on a lottery ticket. You're sitting on a lottery ticket, but you're too much of a pussy to cash it in." That's like that's gold <laughs> yeah. right there. Yeah, that's bold. <laughs> and, and I mean, and dudes back in the '80s would don't talk, wouldn't didn't talk like that to each other. Yeah. At least they not not dudes that I was around, you know. I mean, it, it, we just kind of stay away from the confrontation. But the fact that he cared enough to say, "Get out of here," yeah, yeah, that, yeah. I want you to get out of here. Yeah, that was, monologue was it was great. It was that moment um, that I put together that that Will Hunting realized the only person who was keeping me here. Is me. me, yeah, because because I thought it was you and all of our friends, but you know that I shouldn't be here, and Sean knows that I shouldn't be here, and Skyler yeah. knows I shouldn't be here. Maybe maybe I shouldn't be here. It was a case of misapplied yeah. loyalty. Mm. Um, yeah. You know that scene, that that monologue, that lovely monologue was actually in one of my, <laughs> one of my favorite songs in high school it was by a band called the Ataris called Fast Times at Dropout High. <laughs> And at the end, and at the end of the song, they 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 clipped that monologue, and uh, it's so good. It's great. And it's yeah. so heartfelt. And like uh, that might yeah. that might be my most frequent experience with this movie is hearing that monologue <laughs> in that song in high school. Anyway, it's great. Well, having listened to to you guys for the last year has taught me a lot about 
filmmaking and you know I, I'm I'm a guy that goes to the movie and if I'm not into it in the first 20 minutes I'll fall asleep and CJ knows that I mean I think I've I think I've trash talked you a little bit about that <laughs> he'll he'll try and tell me the music in this and the wardrobe of that and I'm just like you know, it was a good show. It, it, you know, made me laugh or it was great <laughs> action scenes or, I mean, I, I'm a simpleton, right? But I learned, I've learned from you guys over the last year and the, at the end of Goodwill Hunting, the very last counseling session when Robin Williams is basically, he said, this is it. You know, you've turned 21. This is the last one. And, you know, Robin Williams, during the whole movie, he's he's pretty closed off. He, he's got a, a button-up shirt and, and a sweater. I'm not ashamed of anything, but the best days are behind me, and now I'm just going to live out the rest of my days. In the last counseling session, he has a short sleeve Hawaiian looking button up shirt, you know, and he and he's button he, he and he's boxing up his office. He's saying, "Yeah, I'm going to travel. You know, put my cards on the table and and see what happens." And the fact that Robin Williams' character so changed Matt Damon's life is amazing. But it went the other way yeah. too. Matt Damon changed Robin Williams to the point where. He was willing to get back into life, re-engage himself. I'm going to travel. I'm going to put my cards back on the table. Who knows? Yeah. We'll see. Yeah, I, I love that. Uh, I think that it was potentially a uh, like a, it's not your fault moment for him too, and yeah. that, because I, I the way that I put it together was that Sean, if Sean enjoyed his life, Sean felt ashamed that he was alive and his wife was not. And that if he enjoyed his life, that, that, that that's a sin. Like that's a bad thing. His wife it's disrespecting his wife. Of his wife yeah, in some yeah. way. Uh, and so his, it's not your fault moment was, uh, and then especially with, uh, you know, with, with Will hunting, going to see about a girl, it was the, it was this, <laughs> it was this moment where Sean realized like that, you know, she, it was cancer. It's, it's not my fault. Yeah. It's not. And right. yeah, it goes it's both ways. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. I feel like that's, a, that's probably a pretty good place to stop. Cool. Um, it, you know, we, yeah, I, I, I could go on and on like all, like with all really great movies. Yeah. Um, from 20 years ago, <laughs> um, 20, 20 years. Yeah. 1997. Goodwill hunting. Wow. Yeah. Yep. Um, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck are now in their forties. Uh, they're they're getting up there. I mean, Matt Damon's forty nine. Forty nine, so almost fifty. Yeah. yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, wouldn't it be great to be forty nine again? <laughs> <laughs> don't scare us, Dan. <laughs> um, we don't like looking mortality in the face on this show. That's not what we do. Um, mm. well, uh, I I mean, do you have anything else you'd like to add, CJ? Uh, I fell over at basketball and I got a bruise. And it's not going away. Unrelated. Unrelated, CJ. And I feel old because it's not going away. <laughs> no, I, it's related. He was abused. Right? <laughs> CJ, it's not your fault. Yeah, right? It's, it's the basketball's <laughs> fault. Um, 
no, I think uh, I think that's pretty much it. Um, I guess we have to thank Michael Baumiller for the wonderful music. <laughs> yeah, well, first we should probably thank Dan for also joining that. us on this episode. Thank also you, Dan. It, well, it, it, thank you guys. It's been a it's been a pleasure to have you here. Um, I I am. Uh, this is. I don't know if our listeners know this. This is the first time that I have had uh, any kind of actual like communication with with uh, with CJ's father. That's so. True. Uh, this has been a this has been a great experience for me. Well, it gave me a, a a reason to use my theater so I could prep and watch this movie again. Yeah, because you need an so. excuse to use that room. I don't use it near as much as I should. Dude, I got to tell you guys, the theater room at my dad's house. Every time I go home for the holidays, it is it is football. Last year it was uh, it was um, Spider Man into the Spider Verse. Uh, we watched, which I fell asleep in. The yes, he there. did. Uh, don't, don't admit that. I did. I was going to let it fly by, <laughs> but I'm glad you brought it up, man. Um, it was boring. Yeah. Oh man. Oh, it's, uh, oh, isn't it's that, good thing you're that not suck? here with us in person. I would fight you. <laughs> I would fight you. Uh, yeah, I will beat you with my words or I will take you outside. <laughs> and beat you with my words. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, dad, for joining us. I'm, I'm glad not as many embarrassing stories came out oh shoot missed yeah. opportunity it's well really just one then there needs to be another uh, one yep. <laughs> yep but we'll have to have uh, you on later uh, i think we're out of episode. time <laughs> <laughs> well i will i will well, should i take us out yeah yeah if you if you feel confident to we've thanked michael bond miller for the music we're ready to go so what does our audience need to remember remember to love movies like a nerd and respect them like a critic and cut